When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Light the fuse. Well, this is not mission difficult, Mr. Hunt. It's mission impossible. Difficult should be a walk in the park for you. Uh, it's all got to do with the rabbit's foot. Please don't make me go through you. Sir, Hunt is the living manifestation of destiny, and he has made you his mission. Kittredge, you've never seen me very upset. And you really think we can do this? We're going to do it. Welcome to Light the Fuse, the official, can't stress that enough, Charles, official Mission Impossible podcast. I see how your gears are working, Yeah, trying to figure out uh, if that's right. I feel like you stress it too much. I feel like you just you talk about it too. I think we should just, you know, just play it off. It's not, no big deal. No biggie. Yeah, no big deal. Hey, wait, we're big shots, whatever. <laughs> you know what? It's Drew Taylor, and it's, I am joined, as always, by the... Magnificent, Charles. Uh, Charles, how you doing? I'm doing great, Drew. I am doing great. Uh, very excited to be here. Very excited to come back and talk more with uh, Bill Gabiri. If you hear a dog barking, that's just my dog saying hello to everybody out there. <laughs> out there in podcast land. Yes, Bilga is one of our favorite critics. Maybe our, probably our favorite critic, period. Yes. One of our favorite people. Yep. I think maybe our favorite person, period. Yep. And <laughs> All true. You know, last week we started this great conversation about Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, which is still in theaters, and we wanted to continue that conversation. So what do we have to look forward to in this installment, Charles? Well, I just want to give a a little bit of a heads up about, uh, well, of course, we we do talk about Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 quite a bit, but uh, we also talk a little bit about John Wick, and I just want to warn people that there are major spoilers for John Wick Chapter 4. That's a good note, Charles. Good <laughs> just note. wanted to throw that out there as well, uh, because Bilga does just start talking about that. And if you haven't seen John Wick Chapter 4, when he starts to bring it up, you might want to skip that section. Right. Um, yeah, we're really excited to get back into it with Bilga. Uh, and before we do that, we want to just remind people of how you can get Dead Reckoning Part 1 in months ahead, Charles, do you want to just uh, remind people? Yes, I do. Uh, yeah, so as I said last week, um, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 is going to be available to buy on digital on October 10th. And then it will release on 4K Ultra HD Disc, Blu-ray, and DVD on October 31st. It's going to be a very happy Halloween for us all. Uh, when you buy the movie on digital 4K Ultra HD and Blu-ray, you'll get over 30 minutes of bonus content that go inside the incredible stunts and breathtaking locations, as well as an audio commentary from director Christopher McQuarrie and editor Eddie Hamilton. We love them both so much, and their commentaries are always so amazing. So wanted to make sure everybody knows that. Um, yeah, and with that, shall we get into this interview? It's uh, time to continue our discussion of Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 with Bilka. 
the ending of this movie really strikes me because I was worried about it because these part one, part two things that they've been doing now since what Harry Potter or whatever was that over a decade ago now. And to me, like, I can't think of any of them that have really worked. But this is the first time I really felt like the ending actually worked in a part one. I mean, there have been part ones even this year that I've watched oh, yeah. before this one that I was like, well, I don't know what happened at the end of this movie. What where, what are we doing here, guys? And this one, I really felt like really st- stuck the landing in a way that was really striking. I, I just love it. I'm just curious how what how you felt about the ending of, of the part one. You know, it's risky. Well, it stuck the ending because it has an ending. Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, or, or the landing. I mean, it, it has it has an ending. Like, a lot of these other movies don't. And yeah, I, I, I'm with you. Like, even a film... Look, I, I loved Across the Spider... Across... Is it Across the Spider-Verse? Um, yes. I loved it, but it really, really felt like half a movie. Like, it, it ended at a point where I was kind of like, wait, that's it? No, no! <laughs> you know? And, and I get it. Like, that's what they're doing. And, like, TV has in some ways corroded cinema, you know, pop cinema so much that it's just like, we're just, I mean, we're, we're condemned to this stuff, but I remember, and I, and I talked about this on the bright wall, dark room podcast too, but um, like, I remember Dune, you know, like, Dune, like, I, I feel like, you know, I, I was watching you know, like two hours of like ships docking, you know, and then, and then like the story suddenly started to get really interesting and then it was over. Um, and I felt so let down, but uh, again, like I'm really excited for Dune 2, all that stuff. But, um, but it is like, you should never have to sacrifice your movie to set up the next movie. Like that's a terrible idea. And what I appreciate about Dead Reckoning is Dead Reckoning Part 1 is it, it feels like it's a complete movie. I mean, it, if it did not have... I guess the, you know, the, the entity situation hasn't been resolved and you would maybe start wondering why the hell we saw that whole thing with the submarine at the beginning. But if it didn't have a, you know, if it wasn't a to be continued, if that was just how it ended with that incredible train sequence and then, you know, Isai Morales gets away. All right, fine. That could be the ending of the movie. That's the ending of like so many movies, you know, that's okay. So it, it you know, it felt like a whole movie in that sense. And I really appreciated that, that, that worked so much better ironically enough i mean given sort of the way these were being shot and you know the way they were set up this way from the beginning um it actually really felt you know it felt like a complete had a complete story arc in a sense although like i said there are all sorts of things that i'm sort of waiting for the next movie to pay off yeah well that's the other thing i appreciate about this movie is that they very specifically called it part one and then they even put a little title card at the end that says end part one right just to let people know like there's more coming like you know going in there's more coming and you know going out there's more coming and that that part of it works it's a small detail but some of these movies don't even do that and you're like wait what there's a is is that it's over what happened yeah (laughs) and the way they promoted it you know like i try not to worry too much about how movies are promoted or marketed or set up like my job is to just like watch the movie and care about that but I do really appreciate what they did with the stunt. I mean, I, you know, I told you guys, I, I saw that nine minute thing before the first time I saw Top Gun Maverick, like three years ago or whatever. And I, I was just like dying to, to tell people about it. 
And I still think that nine minutes is incredible. I mean, like I made my family watch it. <laughs> you know, I was, I was like, no, you got to see this, you know? <laughs> and like, you know, my wife got up to go to that. No, 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 I'll pause it. <laughs> you know, here, you go, come back. You've got to finish watching. <laughs> it's a nine minute promotional, you know, documentary. Like I've never done that with anything like that. It's so well done and so perfectly set up and, you know, it ends. So, I mean, it ends in such a great way with, you know, telling us how many times he did it and all that. Um, but I was so worried as sort of this film was starting to, you know, as it was starting to show. And, and finally, when I saw it, I was so worried. I was like, oh, God, we've had like two years of promotion for the stunt. So now we know this, the sort of big stunt. And in other movies where they where they kind of promoted the stunt, sometimes the stunt was like right at the beginning. Right. It was. um was it Rogue Nation where the, where the, yeah, Rogue the Nation, yeah. right. And actually, uh, I mean, the first time they promoted one of the stunts was uh, Mission Impossible 2, which was the free climbing, which was the very first scene of the movie. And, uh, and now, and this time as I was watching, I, I started to worry. I was like, Oh my God, is the, the big stunt going to be the, like the, the, the finale? Like that'd be actually kind of a letdown. Right. Cause I, we know it, man, but I love the way it was set up as, okay, this is this big moment. This is, you know, he's going to, jump off this freaking cliff in Norway into this canyon and all that stuff. And 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 you think, oh, this is kind of like this is the movie shooting its shot, if you will. So you're totally unprepared for it. And this is why I compared the movie to a magic trick in my review, because it's this great misdirection. Because you're like set up for the stunt, you, the motorcycle jump. He does the motorcycle jump, which is spectacular. And it even has a great payoff, which you don't know about, you know, <laughs> flying in through the window. And then the train sequence comes, which is the greatest train sequence in the history of cinema. And it just gets better and better or worse and worse and worse, if you will. <laughs> like, it's just like, you're just like, oh, my God, I can't believe it. And it just keeps going and going and going. And it's just relentless. And it's such a great way to end this thing after all the stuff you've been through, it's just, and, and, and what's funny is it's actually not unlike what happens at the end of fallout, like that little moment at the end of fallout, that moment, the middle little minute long thing where he and Henry Cavill are like stuck in that little Canyon. And, you know, is it the helicopters like slowly kind of, and they're just getting out of the way. Like it's, I mean, it's the same kind of engineering mind that came up with that has come up with this. It's just this time it's a train and it's hanging off. Like, it's kind of the same vibe, but it's just like they took that and just expanded it by a thousand. So anyway, I, I just thought that was so well done. And it was so, so McQuarrie too, I thought. Like it's so the kind of thing that he comes up with. We'll be back with more from Bilga after the break. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Let's talk about the train, because I think that we're all very much in love with that sequence. And critically, how did you sort of look at that sequence and the way it unfolds and how much... Again, there's so much on Vanessa and Haley in that mm-hmm. sequence. Um, you know, things like that. I'm always fascinated by how they're directed because so much of it, first of all, there's not a lot of, well, okay, sorry. We're talking about two two things, really. We're talking about the, the stuff on the train before the train. <laughs> yes. Before the train. And then the, and then the train, right. yes, yeah. I, I mean, the, the first part I thought was really well done. And that's, I mean, uh, you know, that's a feat of acting. Uh, and it's funny because I'm watching it and I'm watching Vanessa and I'm thinking to myself, God, Haley Atwell is such a good actor. <laughs> I can catch myself. I can catch myself. No, no, wait, that's Vanessa Kirby. She's such a good actor. You know? um, but like, but like it's a it's a testament to her performance that like I'm watching her and I am seeing Haley Atwell. Like I'm seeing Ailey Atwell give this performance. Um, and and I, it happened the second time I saw it too. And, and like, I have to catch myself and remind myself, oh, that's Vanessa Kirby. Like just, you know, basically, basically like she's just changing her expression a little bit. You know, she doesn't have to change her face at all. Um, but the scene works because the scene is well-written. The scene is well-acted. But like those little moments where you can really appreciate how well a person is doing their job um, is, 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 is terrific. And the, you know, the, the way it's written with, with Kittredge, like, you know, pretending not to recognize her for like, that's not you know, like, and then it's like, it turns into this like little, you know, goofy dad moment of, you know, Oh, she was just this big when you, when I last saw her, you know um, you know, that's all, that's all, that's all very delightful. Um, I loved how they set up the whole thing with how, the, how you know, this was all going to work on the train. And, and I mean, they do this in all the movies, but um, we see sort of the idealized version of how this thing is going to work out first. And, and we don't realize at first that we're actually just seeing like the hypothetical version. But yeah, no, that, 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 that was all brilliant acting. And But, you know, train scenes, having, having worked on a movie that had scenes set in a train, it's not easy. Like, it's actually really hard to shoot on trains. I mean, I, I don't know how they did this one, but, you know, I don't know if it was all set or if they actually shot on trains. Like, there are trains that you can shoot on for these things. And, you know, it's it's actually, like, really complicated to do that. But to to do it in such a way that it looks so simple, right? Because what you're really watching is performance. You're watching just, like, performers basically bouncing off against one another, emotionally and with dialogue and stuff like that. So there's a lot of like planning involved in those things, but in the end, what's on screen can, can feel so simple, right? Because the, the it's tight quarters. There isn't like a lot of, there, there isn't a lot of fancy camera work you can do and that sort of thing. Um, just speaking about just like the, the interactions on the train. 
Yeah, I mean, what, what what strikes me about the that in the latter half of the train sequence, and when it gets, you know, when they're going over the cliff and you're going train car by train car, you can tell like when watching that, oh, they they cut a whole bunch out of this, <laughs> and 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 it is completely in service of making the movie a hundred times better because I've been to so many big action movies and they have these giant set pieces that just go on forever and ever, and some of them are some directors who I love, <laughs> but they just didn't have the restraint to trim some things and then the sequences end up being exhausting you feel exhausted yeah and they do such an amazing job of leaving you wanting just a little bit more and just like delivering just the right amount to make it just absolutely exhilarating and amazing and i I, like overall the whole movie i can't believe it's it does not feel like it's over two and a half hours like it's it's wild that they're able to pull that off because usually movies like that i feel exhausted afterwards (laughs) Uh, when they when they try to do something like that that's so epic and that's what I don't, yeah for me that is really remarkable absolutely flies by absolutely flies by at, you know at no point did I check my watch or you know wonder oh where where, where is this all going I, I, that's it's really well done um, yeah and then the, the the train derailment I don't know what to call it train off the cliff sequence it's um you know the, there so much has to happen is wordlessly and it has to happen with just you know people looking at things shot of the object but also like keeping things in perspective so that you're always aware of like the stakes like i hate that word stakes but like you're always aware that like oh there's this like huge plunge down and you kind of have always have to be reminded of it because that's part of the spectacle right like it has to it has to keep paying off the spectacle for you to feel like, you know, really, really locked into what's happening. And it's so well directed. This, the, the, the action is always clear, always, like you said, there's, it's always cut at just the right moment. Like there's no, there's no fat. There's not an ounce of fat in that, in that sequence. There isn't really much of, I mean, you know, like I said, there's, you know, the film does want you to, understand what's happening in the story a little more than others so there's a little space there but other than that i don't think there's an ounce of fat in the movie right or the entity wants us to think that right <laughs> you know we don't we have to we have to really question ourselves i mean the, the one thing that the one thing that i do wish there was more of is and i'm hoping we get more of this in part two the whole thing with them having to go all analog because of you know, the way the entity, you know, kind of wields control over all these things. And I thought, you know, I thought that stuff was, I mean, I thought that, that was, I thought that was really great. And when, when, when they set that up, I thought, oh, this is, this is awesome. Like we're going all analog or using old TV monitors. They're like using decommissioned spy satellites from the nineties. You know, I wanted more of that because, because then there was like other stuff. And I think I even texted this to you drew i'm like wait why is benji driving you know why does benji have a self-driving car like couldn't the entity just basically drive him off a cliff right now um i will withhold judgment on that until i see part two (laughs) they set this thing up and they didn't have a ton of time to pay it off and presumably all part two will be them paying it off i mean if if the entity is in fact what it is and is becoming more and more powerful. Um, I'm fascinated to see what they do with that idea. You might be onto something, but well, I mean, but, but it is, I do like this. I do like this concept of, okay. Like we've set up this like 
narrative challenge for ourselves. And oh, part one's over. <laughs> like, you know, like now, like they they've set up this challenge, and now they have a whole movie in which to have to like deal with it, which I think is great. I mean, it's a it's a great sort of you know. Babe Ruth pointing pointing to the bleachers moment, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's what kind of it makes it hard to to like we you know we're talking about our rankings and at least the way I feel like it's hard to judge the movie until we see part two. There's so many questions left that need to be answered that until I get answers, depending on how satisfying those answers are, like it's going to affect how I feel about part one when I see part two. You know, it's kind of a weird situation. Maybe I was talking to some people about, you know, Kill Bill part one and part two, right? You know, because that was a case of a movie where presumably it was made to be one movie and they split it into two, which I still haven't watched. Like, I, I mean, I've watched Kill Bill one and Kill Bill two many, many times, but I've never done the the whole bloody affair screening. And I've never like actually sat down and watched both of them back to back. Um, but tonally, they were so different and you know, I always thought ultimately I would think of them as one movie, but I still think of them as two different movies, you know? So I feel like, I feel like in the end, I mean, yes, it does depend on part. I mean, part two is like awful. <laughs> it's just like an embarrassing failure or something like that. Yeah. Maybe that'll reflect poorly on part one. I don't know. <laughs> or maybe it'll, maybe it'll make part one look like the total masterpiece. I don't know. I somehow, uh, I, I somehow doubt that Part two will be like a disaster. Yeah, they they have a, they have a certain level of quality control here that they they are all uh, putting in their best work, and it's uh, yeah, I, I can't imagine that would happen. Yeah, no, I mean, but also you know, I mean, this I've said this before, but like Tom Cruise actually has has always had a great level of quality control with his movies. I mean, that was the thing that really years ago. I, I think I, I mentioned this to you probably the last time we potted, but um, but you know, when I when I did uh, the Rolling Stone, you know. In, every Tom Cruise performance a ranked list where I had like six or seven months to just rewatch everything. I mean, yes, he has a few stinkers. Absolutely. But by and large, I was so impressed with how all of those movies kind of maintain a certain level of just like quality, like a certain level of everything's in place. Script is in place. The T's are crossed. The I's are dotted. Like it's, the film may or may not work for a variety of reasons, but like there's a certain level of just like professionalism that's been brought to all of these, even, you know, even some of the films that like, I mean, even something like cocktail, which, which for the longest time, I, I, I never really thought of seriously as a movie. You're like, finally watched it. And I was just like, no, no, this is, this is like a real film. I mean, like, it's not great. Like plenty of things about it that I don't like, but you know, put that out today. So it's a real movie, better than most of what's out there, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, the other thing with the analog stuff, and I don't know how much you think about this, but obviously this whole, you know, the movie is the metaphor for making the movie. Right? Sure, yeah. And they're going up against an algorithm, which is, you know, the kind of the threat of streaming and mm -hmm. it's all practical. I mean, was that something that you thought about? Like, how how do you factor that in? I, I, I thought about it. I mean, it was, it was funny because some people talked about that you know, out of the premiere. So I knew that that was kind of in the air before I even saw the movie. I didn't think of it as, you know, the, the threat of streaming necessarily. Um, but I do think that there is, and you see it in a lot of, I mean, you see it in Maverick, right? Um, 
I mean, Maver- you know, Maverick. I mean, it begins with the whole thing with the drones, but you know, um, the you know, Ed Harris is the drone warrior. But then, you know, again, the whole thing about the importance of having actual humans in those planes, um, and you know, there is a general sense in our society, in our culture, of you know, a kind of post-human quality. Right, you you feel like you're on the edge of a post-human world, and and this is something that I mean, Kosinski's movies are all about, really, all of them, and which is why I think he was such a perfect director for for Top Gun Maverick. But like, you see it in everything. Like, yeah, you see it in streaming a little bit, right? And you see it in digital cinematography sometimes. I mean, this movie was shot digitally, so it's not like that's you know necessarily the issue, but. But there are so many. Th- I mean, and, and but like how they make movies is is obviously important because these are people who make movies. But really, there are greater societal issues at stake here. Um, and and I and I love the fact that this film captures some of that anxiety. Uh, that's why when people say, "Oh, you know, I, I didn't like the villain in this movie," I mean, I can under- sort of understand what they mean if they're talking specifically about Isai Morales, but that's not the main villain in the movie. The main villain in the movie is is the entity, which is terrifying to me. Like, you know, like I actually like it's, it's like sends chills up my spine. And and I imagine there'll be more of that in, in part two. Um, but I do think that that's, you know, these kinds of films that speak to that sort of anxiety, even though they're like popcorn movies, they're entertainments, you're supposed to enjoy them without necessarily getting into a whole polemic about our culture, but it's there if you want to go into it. And and it's also there as kind of an example of the type of film that does sort of project that kind of anxiety or reflect that kind of anxiety, not project. Um, and, and I think that that's, I think that's fascinating. That's also, I think will also make this a movie that people go back to and think about uh, years from now. Like I actually do think that that sort of will will give it some staying power because of those things. Like, you know, the Terminator movies have that too, you know, like, I mean, I, you know, I love the Terminator movies when, when they came out, but if you told me at the time that 30 years from now, we would still be talking about Terminator 2 and its vision of, of society. I, I'd be like, what are you talking about? Like, it's just, you know, it's just a great, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, but sure enough, you know, it feels weirdly prescient. Yeah, there seem to be some Cameron-ish elements to this. Oh yeah, well, I mean, uh, I mean, the the train sequence. Well, that's that's the thing Macquarie has that she that he shares with Cameron, a kind of engineer's mentality with the stuff and the way he sets up these uh, set pieces. Because yeah, I mean, Cameron is now, especially after Avatar two, basically turned into another disaster movie he's kind of the king of the disaster movie and and, you know the train sequence has that too yeah we'll be back with more from bilgo beery after the break another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc 
part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Well, what are your what are your biggest questions going into eight? Or, do, or again, do you not think about these things like we do? Clearly, just sit in a room and theorize. Well, so one of my favorite genres or subgenres subgenres um, is the subgenre. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was something I, I realized years ago. I remember your hunter killer review. Right. And I think I might have even I might have mentioned this in my Hunter Killer. There was a certain point where I realized, you know, I think I'm just a sucker for submarine movies. Like it's like I, I even like down Periscope, like the Kelsey grammar. Like, <laughs> like, I was just like, it, it it takes a lot to screw up a submarine movie for me. So one, I'm like excited that we might see some submarine action. Um, and we see some here, but like I'm hoping for more. But the other thing is, it's not even like a question about that was raised by this movie. But I think it's something that is it something McQuarrie said to you guys or where he was talking like somebody was asking him about the stunt. And um, I'd say it's possible he even says it in the, the featurette. But he was talking about the stunt in Norway, the, the bicycle jump, the motorcycle jump. And he, you know, where he where he says something like, well, he, he, he did something even crazier in the next one you know, that you'll see. And I was kind of like, wait, what? <laughs> Has he already done it? Like, what is this? Um, so, so I'm intrigued by that. Uh, I'm like, you know, like, do we have to wait for him to do it? <laughs> do we have to like light candles, uh, you know? Or has he done it? Is he safe? Like, is it okay? Um, so, yeah. Um, yeah, no, there's questions like that. I mean, the little, you know, I, I do feel like Palm Clementief's character, Paris, is that her name? Uh, I feel like she's yeah. going to play a bigger part. I'm kind of hoping she does because she was such a scene stealer. Um, I feel like we're going to see more of the White Widow. and I want to see more of her because she's such a great actress. And there's also this question, you know, which we've talked about, which is how the hell are they going to keep this thing going? You know, um, I mean, it's this, this question of it's a series or film series defined by Tom Cruise's charisma and his whole persona. You know, his age is getting up there. He can clearly still do them, but do they have a plan for how they're going, like where this is going? I, I always worry about that because if Hollywood were different, I wouldn't worry about that. But Hollywood is so much about keeping these franchises going and monetizing them ad infinitum. And then, you know, we're seeing what's happening with John Wick. Um, I was talking about this on the other podcast too, so I apologize. But you know, the whole thing with John Wick is like, okay, well, you know, they they killed John Wick, <laughs> um, so, but they're making two more. Like, what's going on? And like, do I really like that that whole series more so? I would say than than Mission Impossible. That whole series is Keanu Reeves, like defined by Keanu Reeves and his charisma and his stunts and just like everything that he brings as a persona to those movies. And like, like, look, I love Ana de Armas, but like, I don't want to see a John Wick with Ana de Armas. Like give her her, like make her 
you know, she can have her own movie. I, I, I would love to watch it. Also, the Len Wiseman of it all is bothersome to me. But like, um, but it's just like I'm just like you killed John Wick. Okay, end of end of series. Good, we're done. You know, everybody go home and make something else. Like, I'm totally fine with that. But this whole idea in Hollywood that you have to keep things going. Um, so I'm like, now I'm worried. I'm like, all right, look. I love the Mission Impossible movies. I want them to continue for as long as Tom Cruise is okay making them. Uh, but I don't know that I want them to sort of have this like ancillary life with a bunch of different characters or, you know, the next Jeremy Renner taking over. I mean, all that stuff, it just seems like, like I, I don't know that I love that idea. But at the same time, if it was, if it just became like Tom Clementi, Vanessa Kirby and Haley Atwell, like, Kicking people's asses. I don't know. Maybe I'd watch that. <laughs> Charles and I have a pitch for a workplace comedy set in the IMF. So as long as you can get behind that. You know, <laughs> yeah. that. Okay. All the middle management bosses. Yeah. Just a lot of paperwork being filed and <laughs> expense reports. And Well, they have the, they have the, in the John Wick, they have the whole thing with like, it's the, the, the prequel series setting up the, the hotel. Right. I'm like, and with like a, somebody playing um young ian mcshane right i'm like so mission impossible young kittredge the adventures of young yes yes Yes. (laughs) we gotta make this happen you could still get henry zerny to do it (laughs) (laughs) yeah we probably could it's always the same age yeah uh charles any closing questions or thoughts no, I mean, I wanted to get into Top Gun Maverick because the last time we talked, but it's just too, it's too big of a subject to get into. <laughs> Give it, tell, tell us your thoughts on Top Gun Maverick in, in 10 words. <laughs> the last time we spoke was before Top Gun Maverick had come out. You had already seen it. I had you seen had seen it, it but yeah. we hadn't. And now we've seen the masterpiece that is Top Gun Maverick. And it's, it's so good. Yeah. It's so good. It's, 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 uh, yeah, it's like, I never know with these things because sometimes I see these things early. Actually, similar thing happened with Oppenheimer where I'm like, okay, I love this. I can't wait to see this again. I don't know if everyone's going to love it, you know? And then it comes out and everyone loves it. I'm like so relieved. I should be fine either way. But it's like, there's a part of me that's like, oh God, thank God they liked it. You know, I'm totally uninvolved in making this movie, but I feel this like weird weight off my shoulders when something I really love and have you know been sitting on comes out and and people like it so i felt that same way with oppenheimer top gun maverick is still such a such a great movie and i think people because it was a top gun movie i think in many ways people discounted it i mean people liked it people loved it but i think as the years progress people will understand what a what a great movie that is yeah i think i heard you on that other podcast you said something about how you had it I think it was your number two movie of the year or something that year or whatever. And you had yeah. some people were, were trying to give you shit for it. And you were like, what? It's better than the stupid movies you had on your list. <laughs> you said something like that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, no, it's, it's, you know, it was number two. It could have been number one. Number one was Athena, which I still really think is incredible. Um, but I mean, it's, it's, yeah. Like it's has not gone down a, a bit in my estimation and, is just getting higher and higher every time I rewatch it, you know, it's fantastic. Um, and really, you know, it's, it's hard sometimes with these movies, like similar thing happened with Fury road where people were like, really loved it. But then we're a little surprised that so many people loved it. And it was, and it was nominated for these Oscars and people were a little shocked. And now it's like, anytime anyone makes a 
best of the decade list that's on there, you know. Um, I think I think Maverick will, will have that kind of life. Yeah, it's a it's a modern classic as far as absolutely we're concerned. Yeah. And and somehow makes the original movie better, which was already a classic. Uh, it, it makes the original movie better for me. And I don't even like the original movie that much. Like, <laughs> like I'm crying over Goose in Maverick. I did not cry over Goose in Top Gun. Like I'm crying over things in Top Gun that I never cried about in Top Gun. <laughs> but I'm crying about them in Maverick. Like that's the magic of that film for me. Yeah. Well, Bilga, we love you. Keep in touch. I love you too. Uh, hopefully now that you're going to be on the Metro North for an hour and change every day, we will, you can text me you know, yeah. when, you're, when you're bored, but, uh, it really meant a lot for us because we loved your review as soon as it came out. And, uh, yeah, you, you're, you're our favorite critic and also a wonderful person. So it just, it just worked out well. So th- we really appreciate you coming on the show. Oh, thank you guys. It's just, it's always fun to talk to you. Uh, and, uh, looking forward to doing it again at some point. And we're back, Charles. You know, it's kind of it's hard to say goodbye to, to Bilga. We don't know when we'll see him again, when we'll talk to him again. I know. Yeah. It's a little sad. You, you used to you used to live in uh, on the East Coast, and you'd go to movies in New York, and you'd see him at screenings. And I remember you'd tell me about it, and I'd be so jealous. At that time, I didn't know him, and I, I wish I knew him. And now I do, and it's very great. It's a thrill. He is a great person and a great critic, and... Uh, yeah, we tried to get dirt. You know, he's he's done um, liner notes for Criterion Collection releases, which obviously is very important to a couple of nerds like us. <laughs> he said, "There's nothing on the horizon," but we love his. Yeah, he, he did the the notes for Citizen Kane, and he said, "You know, it's hard to top that." And I I would yeah. agree. I would agree. No big no big deal. Just doing Citizen Kane for the Criterion Collection, pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, NBD. Uh, yeah, and so we've got other people. We've. Uh... We were hoping to get on the show. We got a f- we're working on a few other great critics that we really love, and people who have really wonderful analysis of Dead Reckoning Part One and the Mission Impossible movies. We're working on getting them on the show, so that's that'll be coming, I think, in the months ahead. Fingers crossed. But I wanted to just say quickly that I thought it was really interesting to that you know he was talking about uh, thinking about Part One and Part Two because I've, I've always I just think of it as one big movie, but it's like it really could it could feel like two separate ones in the end. Like he's he compared it to Kill Bill and. I, I actually I feel the same way about the Kill Bill movies. They don't really feel like one big movie. It feels like two separate movies. Absolutely, Charles. Uh, but neither of us have seen the completed uh, version of Kill Bill. We might feel differently. Oh, I thought you saw it at the New Beverly. You haven't done the no, whole thing. No, I never affair? have. Oh, okay. I, I always go. Charles knows this, that we, my wife and I usually go on Christmas Day to the New Beverly. And we're always like, maybe this year it'll be... The whole bloody affair. Right. It's always the hateful eight. Well, and I think my wife is ready to divorce you. Neared her fill of the hateful <laughs> eight. Yeah, but um, it's a it's a lovely event. Well, okay. Hey, if if it ever comes back again, we got to go. We'll go to the whole bloody we affair. Go. Maybe we'll get a ticket for Bilga. We'll fly him out. Yes, absolutely. Maybe we can all go. Yes, using that sweet sweet Paramount money, we will fly him out <laughs> and we will go see Kill Bill: The Whole Bloody Affair for sure. It's on you, Paramount. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> We'll make an episode out of it. I mean, come on, it'll be yeah, fun. Sure, promoting Kill Bill, not, not Mission Impossible. <laughs> no, it'll be great. It'll be great. We'll talk about great. Mission. It'll be, well, it'll be good. It'll be good. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So anyway, 
again, uh, we love Bilga and uh, we're so, so grateful to have him on the show. And uh, yeah, I'm just uh, we've got episodes that come every Tuesday. Of course, we got great ones coming up. Cannot wait for you to hear them. And uh, anything else, Drew? You got, you got something you got to talk about, right? Oh, absolutely. I just want to make sure that everybody likes, subscribes, rates, and reviews Light the Fuse, the official Mission Impossible podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this podcast. As Charles said, we have new episodes every Tuesday, so please come back next week and join us for those. If you want to follow us on social media, we are Light the Fuse Pod on Instagram and Twitter and also Facebook. And if you want to follow the official Mission Impossible accounts, that's Mission Film on Twitter and Mission Impossible on Instagram. So, yeah, I think that's it, Charles. Uh, We'll be back next week. We'll have a great new episode. And, yeah, you should be excited. Yes, you should. Yeah, we've got uh, great people coming up. We're really excited to share with you. So uh, come on back. Light the Fuse, the official Mission Impossible podcast, is produced by Charles Hood. That's me and Drew Taylor. This episode was edited by Luke Burson with music by Kevin Blumenfeld. Original Mission Impossible themes by Lalo Schifrin. This podcast is a production of Paramount Pictures. All rights are reserved. This message will self-destruct in five seconds. Rise and shine, football fans. Start your day the right way with Morning Footy, a podcast that covers every aspect of the global game, headlines, match previews, analysis, interviews, culture, fashion, and plenty of banter. Join as we track the thrills and spills of Europe's biggest title races, the business end of the Champions League season, a summer packed with international competitions, MLS, NWSL, and much more. Subscribe to Morning Footy.